Screaming Queens is supported by Horrified, the website that celebrates and champions British horror, covering films, television, books, fiction and more. You can visit Horrified at horrifiedmagazine.co.uk and find them on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at horrifiedmag. Hello and welcome to Sleazy Queens, the Screaming Queens queer horror podcast, non-horror podcast spin-off thing. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Jonathan Larkin and I am back with my two fellow sleazy bastards, um, Christopher Brown. Hello, Christopher. Hello. How you doing? Uh, All right. I'm a bit tongue-tied suddenly, but I don't don't know why. (laughs) There we go. And Andy Roberts. Hello, Andy. Hello, John. Hello, Chris. So, regular listeners will know that over the last oh, six months to a year, we've been dabbling. So, Screaming Queens, obviously, horror podcast that covers things with a little bit of a queer bent, so to speak, um, a mm. queer, a queer, queer skew. And Sleazy Queens is our spin-off where we talk about things that might not fit strictly into the horror bracket, but there are many crossovers. Whether it's you know uh, directors who've dabbled in both, both or actors or basically it's just horrible and reprehensible and nobody else in their right mind would ever watch this junk when you're talking sleaze and controversy it's only a matter of time before you come across Ruggiero Deodato actually regular listeners will know that I've talked about him before Rachel Nisbet from Fragments of Fear podcast joined me a couple of years ago to talk about his bizarre ghost down the telephone horror movie Dial Help from the 80s but that was softcore child's play compared to what Deodato turned out in the 70s in 1979, he gave us the most controversial video nasty of all time and arguably the first found footage horror, Cannibal Holocaust. An orgy of rape, exploitation and actual animal cruelty, Cannibal Holocaust was notorious on its release when Deodato was actually taken to court because some people thought it was a real-life snuff movie and he'd murdered his cast. Deodato's notoriety did not let up with his next film, and that's the one we're talking about in today's podcast. Enlisting the dubious talents of David Hess from Last House on the Left, Deodato brought us a morally ambiguous horror film that makes disco music, home invasion, rape and sexual politics into a dangerous cocktail that was sure to be laced with a hypnol. So get your, grab your flick knives and keep your legs shut, we're off to the house on the edge of the park. So can I just say the key words for this on IMDb are rape, suntan pantyhose, <laughs> serial murderer, serial killer, and female stockinged legs. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Literally Word. the first thing I think of when I think of this film is female stocking legs. <laughs> well, so, there, are a, there are a great deal of stocking legs, yeah, you know, to be fair. <laughs> All female. Not, not quite, not quite sure of the serial killer thing, though. I mean, it's a, it's, it's cutting it fine, I'd say. Yeah, you know. so to speak. 
Yes, yes. That's, that's nice. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I said before in the preamble that uh, the sort of remit of this podcast is to talk about stuff that doesn't strictly fit into horror, the horror bracket. But a lot of people do consider this film an actual horror movie. Um, I, I, think... cer- I certainly would. Okay, so yeah. you do. What about you, Chris? Um, it's a home invasion movie, definitely. Um, I don't think... Oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe. I, 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 like, I mean, like, the, we, sometimes you get contact with people about, about my podcast and they kind of go, they get very like, this is what I think a horror film is and it's very structured. And uh, I'm yeah. not that arsed about that. And I don't really care about the, um, the idea of definitions and stuff. So, like, yeah, I mean, horrible stuff happens in it. Um, so, yeah, in that sense, it is a horror. But for me, it, it like... It feels more like, uh, yeah, well, it is. It's a home invasion movie, definitely. They just invite him into the house first. Mm. That's true. That's true. Um, so the plot of the film. So Alex, played by David Hess, is a murderous serial rapist. Now, I've just assumed he's murderous. He did kill that girl in the car, didn't he? Yeah, He did, yeah. There we go, okay. So he's a murderous serial rapist who also happens to be a mechanic in downtown Manhattan. His dull Saturday night gets interesting when a yuppie couple, Tom and Lisa, have car trouble on their way to a house party in upstate New York. Along with his sidekick, Ricky, he manages to force his way into their backseat and hitches a ride to the posh party where he proceeds to rape and terrorise the revellers. But in this deadly game, not all is as it seems. Who is the cat and who is the mouse? Um... So I just made that one up, guys. You know, on the fly. Uh, it doesn't. Oh. Com- it doesn't compare at all to the blurb that Chris sent us <laughs> the other day. Oh yeah, that's got it in front of me now. From the okay. back of your. So, what which edition DVD do you have? I have the EC Entertainment edition from a two thousand two thousand and one. Right. Um, Same so version as mine. Oh, have you got that as well? So I have. The, yes. The eBay was awash with them in uh, the start of the 21st century, which is where I got mine from. It says, House House on the Edge of the Park. Even before you can pronounce the Italian title, the first act of violence occurs. A young girl is raped and strangled by Alex, David A. Hess, and his, and his slightly retarded sidekick, Ricky. Of course. Of course. <laughs> After helping a rich couple with their car, they invite themselves to a party. The people at the party seem bored and looking for kicks, unaware of the two madmen in their midst. <laughs> when, when the tension is broken, the film descends into an unrelenting catalogue of repugnant moments of humiliations, rape, mutilation and murder. In House on the Edge of the Park, as with his genuinely challenging cannibal holocaust, director Diodato pushes the limits of what is acceptable behaviour with a move of fervour, and the end remains to be seen. I mean, mm. uh, well, it, it, it's a fantastic DVD. It's available in English and in German. Mm-hmm. And it has chapter stops in it, which is obviously the thing they used to uh, advertise, and <laughs> subtitles. <laughs> and it's got a theatrical trailer, which it doesn't have. It's not on my disc anyway. Right. And still it's an artwork gallery, which again isn't on So the back lies. The only thing that's yes. truthful is the blurb. The rest of it's bullshit. There's none of this in it. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very bare bones release, actually. The, the, the only thing that really it has going for it is that it is a relatively decent copy and it is uncut. That's the only positives I can see because I remember picking this up a bit similar to you, Chris, probably early 2000s. And this was one of the first video nasties that I picked up. This was like maybe the fifth one I'd bought. So, but yeah, I remember 
this really lying on the back in terms of there's no, there is no art gallery. There's nothing else. It's a very bare bones release, unfortunately, but it is a, it is at least intact. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm trying to. I I'm not sure which edition I have, but I have it's uncut. Um, I think it might be Dutch. Hmm. It could be Dutch. I'm not sure. Is yours Blu-ray, John? Or no, no, DVD? it's DVD. Oh, right. It's DVD because oh right yeah no the sort of the version I have is from another world entertainment, uh-huh. um, and it's Swedish Danish Finnish it's and it is thankfully it's on course. Uh, I I was tempted to splash out on the Blu-ray as well, but then it was about thirty odd quid, and I just thought no, mm. I'm not going to do it. Plus, also when I put because I hardly watch DVDs anymore, I've become such a snob, and if you know it's always Blu-ray. <laughs> um, and when I put it on, the the picture was much better than I remembered. It's actually really quite quite a good picture for the DVD. Um, mm. Well, if you want to see, if you wanted to hear true horror, you should have seen heard me trying to work out how to because non anamorphic the version I've got. So it's like the black bar, black bars at the top and the bottom and on the sides. So it's like a oh, little window little version, yeah, little box <laughs> in the middle. And I could not, I do not. I've had that telly ten years. I still don't know how to fucking fix it. So it zooms in. Yeah, so it's just yeah. fucking <laughs> while, the, while, the, while all the disco music's playing, I'm just screaming at it, just pressing buttons. Still didn't get away. So yeah. s- you're screaming amidst the disco music. So it's actually like an immersive experience with the film, isn't it? Really? It's like it's like secret cinema. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the film was written by Gianfranco Clarici and Vincenzo Manino, who are both also credited as writing *Cannibal Holocaust*, *New York Ripper*, *Murder Rock*. All of the classics um, <laughs> mm-hmm. these guys delivered. Um, but from what I can gather, a lot of the script was actually in, um, improvised by Mr. Hess as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. He really, mm-hmm. they, they kind of like, they really, really wanted him on board. So they offered him um, like a massive chunk of the profits. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and he said, well, I want to rewrite my, my lines. So they said, yeah, go ahead. Then. So he rewrote like half his lines, which is why it... It does feel like if it, it feels like the same. I think people seem to say it feels like the same character from Last House, and that's probably why. Why, to be honest with you, because obviously the, that film had loads of improvised dialogue in as well. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so David Hess stars with the cast are um, Annie Bell, who plays Lisa. So um, she was in also in Absurd, and mm-hmm. uh, she was in Black Emmanuel, White Emmanuel, which I don't think is the same one that we watched, Andy. No, it's a it's a different one where Laura Gemser is actually in it, and yeah, Annie Bell plays like the the, the white counterpart. I think actually Annie Bell also used to date um, is it Al Cleaver, you know the oh. ginger mustache guy from Zombie oh. Flesh Eaters. Yes, she had a brief moment Good with him anyway. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean. <laughs> Based like Hello Magazine over here with all, <laughs> all the, the early eighties Italian genre mover goss. No, yeah. I just I just remember reading it somewhere like that they they had a brief dating period in the early eighties. So, <laughs> well, Black Manuel White Manuel sounds like a film I'd like to see because Laura Gems is in it, and it's not the one that's set on a plantation with slavery porn involved. No, um, I, I assume it's also way better quality than Passion Plantation, which one is the can, one we watched. One can only hope. Uh, it also stars Christian Borromeo from T- Tenebrae, he plays Tom. Um, mm-hmm. L- Lorraine Tassel is Gloria, and Lorraine Tassel, was she the girl in the sauna scene in Emmanuel in America? Yes. She was. Yeah. Oh, yes. She, she was, of, she, um, go on. Yeah, sorry. She was also in, um, she was in Cannibal Ferox as well. She was like the main, the main girl in that. Yeah. She puts me in mind of Eva Green. Mm. I'm just going to put that out there. Um, 
<laughs> it also stars Gabriele Di Giulio, I don't know him. Brigitte Petronio plays Cindy. She was um, in Confessions of Emmanuel and the very classy sounding high school girl repeating class. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, the other f- very familiar face in the film is what's his face? I can never say it right. Giovanni Lombardo Radice. There we go. There we go. And we know. <laughs> or John Morgan, as his Angler, anglicized name is. Yeah. And we know him, obviously, from he was in Cannibal Ferox and he got his head drilled in City of the Living Dead. Um, he's in stage. He got, got stabbed in a weird suit in stage fright. Stage fright, yeah. yeah. And he even pops up at Joseph Arto's 80s erotic bonk fest, 11 Days, 11 Nights, as well. He's in oh, does he? Yeah, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's a very familiar face. He always dies horribly, <laughs> doesn't he? He does, <laughs> he does, he does. He does. He, he's like the, he's like the Sean Bean of the Italian exploitation world. <laughs> <laughs> and the cast is rounded out by the very fabulous Marie-Claude Joseph, who we know nothing about at all. No, it's it's so so strange, isn't it? Because she, she has a real look about her that's recognisable, and yet she didn't do anything else. Yeah, I know. Mm. Yeah. Such a shame, really. Yeah, so whatever, you, if you Google... House on the Edge of the Park, and you, the images flash up. You'll always see this really, really fabulous uh, black actress with a bo- completely bald head who's really beautiful and really stylish, and that's who we're talking about. And um, yes, nobody knows anything about her. Um, so the film opens with uh, David Hess's Alex driving across the freeway to Manhattan, uh, set to the eerie Sweetly song, um, which is part of the score by Rizzo Solani. He spots mm. an attractive woman in the next car, Honks his horn at her, which obviously she's like, you know, go away. Uh, she, she, do, she doesn't respond, so he does the only logical thing and runs it off the road and rapes her. Um, and this is hard. <laughs> this is our uh, introduction to Alex. Yeah, the, the credits haven't even flashed up no. yet, have they? No. It, it's not often that a rape happens like in quite explicit detail before the credits come up. Yeah. yeah it's so also it's not, not, not common that the rape scene involves the, the lead actor's wife. So is this true? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Caroline Mardek was her name, wasn't it? And I think at the time they weren't married, but he eventually did go on to marry her. Or am I reading that wrong? They were definitely going out at this stage. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this every day. I, I I haven't got it in front of me, so you are literally like picking me brains about David Hess biography. <laughs> but I, I think I believe you may be right. I think yeah, I think they were definitely together. They were a couple, but he did he did go on to marry um, Caroline Mardek. Yeah. Wow. Well, what a way to get together. I mean, Jesus. It's all right, love. (laughs) You've seen me at my worst, you know. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) If you can't handle me as a rapist, you don't deserve me as a husband. (laughs) Um, That was his opening gambit. So there we go. So, yes, that was like the first, that's like within the first five minutes before the credits roll. So the rape is just there to whet your appetite for what's still to come. Um, so the story actually kicks, kicks off and we see Tom and Lisa, these two New York yuppies headed to this friend's cottage party um, and they have a bit of, <laughs> they have a, <laughs> they, a cottage party well they, talk, they, they refer to it as a cottage yeah somewhere in New Jersey or something isn't it yeah yeah uh, they refer to it as a cottage but you know that it's just going to be like an actual mansion um, and uh, they have a bit of car trouble so they pull into a garage but the guys working there are Alex, who we've just seen rape and murder a woman, and Ricky, his what? What was the word? Retarded. Retar- <laughs> yeah, not not my not my word. Not but the words word. of the e- yes. EC release. Yes, the good people at EC. Uh, Ricky. Well, well, t- well, Tom actually says, doesn't he? Like, um, there's like an offhanded comment to 
uh, to Alex, like, do we have to bring your friend along? He seems a little bent. A little bent, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bent in the head. Yeah, like he points to his head as though to say crazy, but he just says he looks a little bent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> there we have it. Yeah. So yeah. we have a really, it's like really weird, awkward, intense, like, because he doesn't quite bully his way into the car into an invite, but he's got this like coercive control thing about him already, hasn't he? With yeah. this couple. Um, he's got the he's got the kind of glib gift of the gab, hasn't he? Yeah, really? but, but he's so he manages to be threatening at the same time. Well yeah, I mean especially when you head back just to grab, you know, your cutthroat razor, you know, just yeah. before you go. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, okay. Exactly. Yeah. So we there's sort of a bit of a there's a bit of light banter between the guys about about rape and stuff before the, before Tom and Lisa actually turn up. So we know that they're both complete wrongmans, and then obviously we know things are going to get worse when he when as you say he takes out his uh, his flick knife to take along to the party with him. Um. Mm. So we then cut to Howard's glorious upstate cottage, and there's disco playing, there's drinks flowing, um, and everyone's a bit sort of stuck up and rich mm. and posh um and then when so when tom and lisa turn up with these two guys in tow rather than anyone be concerned that these two weirdos like crash in the house they're, just, they're more sort of intrigued aren't they and amused by them yeah it's kind of like oh you know where have you found these these yeah. boys you know like you know they, they they're fabulous so sort of in the way of you know like they, they they'll be good play things you yeah know? Like we'll, we'll, we'll see how this plays out yeah yeah I mean, so the whole film for me, what's interesting about it is throughout it, it's all a bit ambiguous, isn't it? It's not like, it's not like the uh, sort of straight up home invasion thriller. It's not like, you you know, funny games or, um, you know, that really rough one, uh, fight for your life. It's not like, it's not like uh, these two bad guys are invading like a nice little virtuous family, family. virtuous family. They're sort of coming into a house where these people are all a little bit, as I'm known, they're all a bit jaded, aren't they? And a bit cynical and nobody in there is coming across as really nice. Yeah, they're not not entirely innocent themselves because there's it because it initially seems quite fun when the party starts and there's, you know, there's a bit of dancing, there's laughing and that. But there's always this undertone of because Deodato always flicks back to people's eye lines and there's always a subtle implication that they're all kind of just egging on what's yeah. going on and kind of laughing almost yeah. Yeah. underneath, you know, that they're not doing it outwardly, but there's kind of this mockery going on. And, you know, you can tell that Alex is automatically kind of turned on to the, what they're doing and not quite saying anything yet. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. They've got Ricky, Ricky's doing like his, uh, he's sort of stripping off and dancing for them, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's like, there's, um, there's a heady kind of, um, tone about it all in terms of class isn't there so it's all like this kind of you know the, 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 it's no um it's no surprise that the, the, the fact that you know that, that alex is a, is a mechanic you know it's kind of they're obviously um making the money elsewhere in, in the city doing, yeah. doing doing like you know, working in, in white collar work and it does play through that all the way all the way through and that's the thing i think initially spikes alex's kind of um <clears throat> Uh, particularly, although he's clearly there just to cause mayhem, um, yeah. it's when they when they they effectively want to do what you're about to talk about with with, with Ricky and the, and the and the poker. Yeah, yeah. Mm. 
So yeah, so the way that the sort of there's like a, there's an exploitation vibe going on, isn't there straight away with um, yeah. the group, the, yeah. way that, the way that they treat Ricky. So they see him as someone who is, as they say, a little bit bent in the head. He's he's a bit more vulnerable, and they've got him stripping off. And Alex is watching, and he's like really like, no, this isn't cool. And um, what's quite interesting is when um, when Ricky's showing off his moves and he's stripping and stuff. Alex is trying to stop him, and he's protective, and. Um, it's it's funny because the the horrible stuff that he's going to do later on in the film is sort of peppered with this protection protective vibe that he's got over his friend. So yeah. nothing's ever sort of straightforward. Nothing's black and white. He's not just a sort of cut out baddie, in a way. No, no. Well, the, well, it's that their relationship is always. It's never quite established exactly where it's come from because clearly, you know, Ricky has come from one place. Alex has come from another, and they've somehow got this friendship that seemed quite close yeah but you, you do wonder exactly what the origin is because at times it's you know like brotherly and quite protective sometimes it's almost fatherly in a kind yeah. of messed up way yeah you know a bit like a bit like the relationship with krug and um, junior in last house yeah, left because totally. obviously they are father and son and their relationship is completely dysfunctional yeah. but then at other times it almost seems like they're they're lovers like the way that alex kind of holds him and the yeah. way that he kind of speaks to him, there's there's a weird um, intimacy sometimes, and Completely. so it's yeah, it's never quite it, it's too it's very ambiguous, but you yeah. could read it in lots of different ways. Yeah, so the the put me in mind of Lenny and George, you know, mice and men as well. That's that's the kinds of vibe that I get often, where where one one guy's looking after the other, one of them's a mm. bit more vulnerable than the other. And you're right, I mean, spoiler alert, uh, but towards the end when we see Ricky dying. And the way yeah. Alex, the way Alex holds him, then there's definitely a vibe there where you think, oh, this is a bit more, um, a bit more ambiguous than I thought it would be, you know. So there's a sort of flirting going on, isn't it, between Alex and Lisa? So Lisa, who is uh, played by Annie Bell, she's she's really enjoying having him around, isn't she? In a way, yeah, she's, I, yeah, I'd say she's probably my favourite character of the whole film because. <laughs> She just because she is so ambiguous, because of course she's one of these kind of you know snotty kids who's rich and yeah, well yeah, it's clearly mocking Ricky herself. But there's there's a fascination that she clearly has with Alex in that she kind of dislikes him and thinks that he's you know lowborn and probably you know not fit to touch her or anything. But there's a real kind of curiosity of like how it feels, well, and she's constantly yeah. egging him on. You know, well, there's a sexual chemistry that she's got with him that she hasn't got with a with her own boyfriend with Tom. At all, yeah. Tom is so like uh, prim and proper, isn't he? So preppy, or oh, a milk blooded as well. He's he's quite c- cowardly, you know. Yeah, there's nothing. He's, he's to him. He, yeah, he's he's not particularly um, spirited in any way. He's just kind of he's just kind of friendly, I guess. But yeah, in a, yeah, in a bit of a weak way. Yeah. My mum would describe him as being like a drink of water. <laughs> That's what Tom's like, whereas um, Alex is more like a shot of pure tequila, dirty tequila, with the worm at the bottom of the bottle. Um, mm. That's and that's what she's after, isn't it? So she's enjoying that. So she does that thing, which you know everybody does when they go to their friend's party. Within ten minutes of getting there, they say, "I need a shower." <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know why, but they always get it on in the kitchen as well, don't they? Alex and Lisa, so they're all over each other within ten minutes of being there at the cottage. Um, oh yeah, she because ne- she necks like a bottle of wine, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. 
She's just like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to pop in the fridge and have a neck full of wine. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. No, we've all been at those parties where it's like, oh, yes. you're sitting around and going, oh, show us some disco dancing. You go, you know what? I might just pop to the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Have, just... some, have, have some dirty seconds of some of the guests' drink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing is, though, I mean, the vibe that you get from Lisa is that she's probably a bit bored with these people anyway. So when when you drop a bomb like Alex in the middle of it all, that's why she gravitates towards him because mm. she's bored of this of this sort of the dullness of their decadence in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, definitely, Alex offers something else. I mean, I'm not sure. She's considering where the, where where we end up. I'm not sure it's exactly where she'd hoped it would have been, but you know, well, a bit of yes. rough in it. You know what I mean? That's true. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she goes up and gets a shower because obviously, um, and she seductively soaps up her new band naked body whilst Alex is watching through the doorway. And she says, what are you waiting for? Why don't you come and scrub my back? Um, and then he sort of comes and washes it down. He gets naked and joins it in the shower. Um, but then she sort of runs off and leaves him and says, rinse your brains out, King Kong. <laughs> <laughs> And she uh, mysteriously doesn't get her hair wet. Her hair that's been perfectly slicked back in a specific course. style. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else completely sudsy and wet, but yeah. you know, her hair absolutely fine. Well she's planned this, she's thought this through, clearly. Oh of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. So it's all about the games upstairs and down. So while they're having sexy sexy game time upstairs, downstairs everyone else is playing poker. Um and they're obviously trying to get one over on Ricky. Um, and this is where Alex leaps to Ricky's defence, doesn't he? And things start to turn physical for the first time. Mm. There's um, one of my favourite lines of the whole of the whole film is in this bit, and um, it's obviously where like uh, Alex goes, you know, be careful, Ricky. They're taking you for a ride, and then he just makes a comment of like these bastards wouldn't know a straight game if they followed one home. And then you, <laughs> you, you, you hear Glenda just say quite, you know, quite innocently, what did you say? And he goes, you heard me twat. Twat. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's just, the, just the innocent, like, what did you say? You heard me twat. Twat. <laughs> I mean, it's preferable to the other thing that he calls it later on when he calls it roots. Oh, God, oh, yes. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> Roots here is the only one on her own. Just whoa. like whoa, God. <laughs> um, she, do, she does get it. She does get a nice one liner though when, um, when obviously fisticuffs happened because she she has like a really quick quick fire line of go on Howard punch the mother out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he takes on Howard and Tom and manages to beat the shit out of both of them, basically. Um, <laughs> and then as Razor comes out and even threatens to stick a wine bottle up Howard's ass at one point. Uh, yes. And then yes. you see he has another great line, we've got to have some fun with these cunts. Um, <laughs> and uh, he strips off he strips off Glenda at the poker table. Mm-hmm. And he essentially says to Ricky, does he pick out which woman you want to rape first? <laughs> That's essentially what he's saying. Um, yeah. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like that relationship um, of the with the rapists in "I Spit on Your Grave." You ever watched that? Yeah, where the um, again, there's one member of the group who's oh, yeah. sort of mentally challenged, shall we say, and they sort of seem to justify what they're doing by saying we're actually setting up this girl for our friend yeah, to do yeah. because he because he clearly can't get a woman himself. So there's <laughs> almost the same kind of. We're thing of like you, yeah yeah i'm teaching you ricky so that's why 
this is actually allowed. You know, this yeah. is why it's okay. It is quite a common trope, isn't it? Because that happens also in Savage Streets. It does, yeah. Um, yeah. He's not. He, I don't think he's sort of described as mentally challenged. He's more seen as a bit of a, a bit wet behind the ears, really. And, he's the and young one, isn't he? He's the, the younger um, one who they're trying to sort of the one who's green behind the gills. Yeah. Te- teach him how to how to rape, how to rape, basically. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, essential skills. Um, so he, he uh, so yeah, Ricky picks up Gloria, but he's sort of he's not really capable of of being as aggressive and horrible as Alex and he sort of giggles and childish, childishly sort of tickles her and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. And Howard and Tom try to fight back and it results in a brawl and um, we see Tom getting his face slashed with the razor and Howard being thrown into the pool where Alex pisses on him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. Um, so Alex oh, and, is... then, and, then, and then ties him under the table, right? With it, with his belt no less as well. Yes. The, yeah. the, that's the, that's what I mean. There's always this because because I think he says he's the only one with balls in this whole damn place except me, and then just shoves him under the table with his belt. And yeah. there's <laughs> that. So this this thing is always running through this film of like the idea of masculinity being tied to your balls, like you know the balls are everything. Yeah, yeah. Because they mention balls so often in oh, this like film, a, lot. Like a, a surprising amount. I think it's fair to say. Yeah, and that's what I, I mean. Yeah, actually, given that it's Deodato who directed it as well, and given who wrote this, I'm surprised that there weren't actual balls being cut off. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I suppose you sort of get some testicle violence later in yeah, a way, don't probably, we? That's, yeah, but yeah. Sure. In true. fact, I think that's that's where it's leading up to, really, isn't yeah. it? All this talk of testicles, and then yeah. in the end, it's well, like, well, okay, here you go. Yeah. <laughs> I know we're jumping ahead, but it's really everything about that is is David Hess's face, though, isn't it? That's that's really <laughs> slow mo face, In slow motion as well. That's and, and, and his fillings, all his glorious fillings. <laughs> Every filling, there are so many of them. There's so many fillings. In this <laughs> so Alex encourages Ricky to rape Gloria, and there's quite a, an elongated moment where Ricky's groping and licking and kissing her, but he can't actually bring themselves to do the actual deed so he's more sort of it's more you know general light assault than rape um and uh, alex shouts uh, hey ricky shit or get off the pot which is delightful uh and we see that that weird complex relationship between them where alex is fiercely protective of ricky one minute but then essentially bullying him into committing rape the next yeah but then he also grabs you know he grabs him from behind and by the chin and like pulls his face backwards and then kisses him several times and then slaps it there's like a do you know what I mean? It's yeah. the intimacy is there because you know you can be friends with someone even in a kind of manipulative way, but you don't get close to them like that. There's you know the, there's definitely something in Alex and Ricky's background that would explain this, but again, it's just kept very ambiguous. Well, I think it's that kind of thing, isn't it? It's what it's what we often come across in these sorts of films where masculinity is taken to such a degree that it does become a parody of itself, and it does become. Homoerotic. Homoerotic, yeah. So I think it's more a case of, of that, really. Um, so then comes the moment of, you know, oh, I'll show you how to do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, he uh, he drags Lisa up off the chair by her hair. So um, he has the power of the situation because he's the man with the knife. Um, and as he's doing this, Glenda makes a run for it and, and switches all the lights off. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, Alex gets the upper hand and attacks Tom by repeatedly slamming his head into a table, which I thought was really grim, really disturbing. 
because it goes on for a long time, doesn't I th- it? I thought he was killed. I thought he was going to be dead after that. Mm. But it's it, it's pretty nasty. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There was a bit before that though that it and then it's odd because obviously all this nasty stuff is happening, but it always makes me laugh. Like it makes me like <laughs> giggle like like hell. And it's where it's just before he says, you know, I'll show you what to do, and he's kind of walking towards one end of the room and. Glenda and Tom are there, and I think Lisa as well. And he just turns around and flinches really loudly at Glenda and makes a jump. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I watch it, and I know it's coming up, but it just makes me giggle all the time. <laughs> and it's, re- I feel it feels really inappropriate to laugh, but it just probably proper scares her <laughs> for a second. Poor Glenda. I know, I know, because I'd say you know, even though you can't really just play anything down really but glenda probably gets the easiest ride out of the film doesn't she she doesn't get too kind of thingied up yeah I she, think just, she just gets knocked about a little bit but compared to the others yeah she's... yeah she gets she gets stripped a couple of times and yeah. humiliated that way but you know like i said i'm not playing it down but she kind of probably ends up on the most unscathed at the end yeah. of the film yeah um so uh yeah so as he smashes he smashes his head to the table so many times i did think he was dead there but he's not and then uh, there's some more cat and mouse with Alex and Lisa but he finally so he, cha- he gets it upstairs doesn't he into a bedroom and this mm. is where we have that really strange sex scene where it's like oh okay, man it's great so he's rapist he's done all these horrible things but now the sex is sort of consensual and there's like yeah. that, the uh, the creepy sweetly song is back from Rizor Solani um, what you make of this Chris? oh it's grim I mean the thing is it does like you can like, I think this was filmed before Holocaust, but came out afterwards because okay. um, because uh, in, in Italy uh, there, there, there was there was court cases and all sorts going on after the release of Cannibal Holocaust. Yeah, and um, but it does kind of there there are certain points in it that are, are kind of similar. It's like really angry and it's clearly trying to button press on certain topics. And it has that, that, and it uses its soundtrack to kind of, yeah. it just the juxtaposition is is so horrible, and it's, it's really powerful. It's incredibly upsetting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, you just want you know, I, I, for, for me with this kind of stuff, you sometimes think so, you know. What was the full process that got them to this point? That, yeah. that, that so we're halfway through the film. Let's do it like this. Yeah, that's just fucking out. Anyway, sorry. I mean, the film is a little bit like it's a little bit like um, it's like the the third the third uh, part of a triangle with with Alex and Ricky, isn't it? It's here to fuck you up. The film yeah. itself, it's like it's it's sort of poking you and torturing you, and it's it, it confusing you about how you feel. It makes you feel really uncomfortable because it does like keep it, the juxtaposition of the music with this kind of scene, uh, but also the juxtaposition of this scene compared to what's come before it and what's going to come after it. Yeah, it's yeah. just completely. Um, it sort of knocks you for six in a way, um, mm. which I think is part of what the film's trying to do. And another another similarity I found between this and Holocaust as well was that you never really know who to root for. Yeah. So in a, so nobody comes out of Holocaust looking like a hero. Nobody comes out of it looking like a, a decent person, really. You know, every mm. it sort of brings out the worst in everyone, which I think happens in this one as well. I think that's something that Deodato yeah. explores really well. 
it's it's also one of those scenes that you, you know, you'd think really when you think about what technically happens that it is it is by definition a rape because I mean you know Lisa's clearly there like against her will. I think he even smacks her, doesn't he, before like yeah. he puts her on the bed and he tells her to strip and that sort of thing. So on paper, it absolutely is by definition a, a rape scene, but there is just this awkwardness to it. I mean, obviously there's this love ballad playing in the background, which doesn't yeah. help, but obviously that's part of the course in Italian stuff. It, yeah, there's always this weird, um, inappropriate music, but yeah. but she smiles. There's like, like there's there's smiles to it. There's a kind of she even bites her lip at one point. You know, there's this kind of, I'm not, I don't want you on top of me, but actually I'm kind of liking it, you know. Yeah. And if it was any other character, I'd find it more problematic. But I think the fact that Lisa's already been set up as kind of a very ambiguous character in terms of what she actually thinks of Alex, yeah. it's not surprising actually and, that it goes this way. And also, all. and also what she thinks of her friends as well, because she doesn't seem yeah. to care about anyone <laughs> but herself. She's not really asked about the people downstairs. She's not no, really bothered with Tom, her boyfriend's just had his face smashed into the table 20 times. She's just sort of, she is really ambiguous and you never really know where, yeah. you, where you stand with her. Um, and it's, and, and if you think about the, the way that the film began, because the, the, the rape there is clearly like violent, like it's clearly not designed to be that sexual. It's as in like, it's all about like grabbing a throat and really making it uh, suffer. With this one with Lisa, there's, there's almost like a slight tenderness to it. Like, Alex isn't as rough as he normally is. There's yeah. kind of a, you know, it's almost like he doesn't want to necessarily hurt her because he's caught. He's probably caught on to the fact that she's sort of into it. Yeah, and it's it, it is this weird scene, but obviously it's all sort of smiles and biting of the lips until they've finished, and then Lisa kind of just says, I, "It was disgusting," you know, because now it's over. You yeah. know, now she's back to reality. Now yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, sex is over. Now I actually see you exactly for what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, afterwards, they come back downstairs post-coital, <laughs> uh, where all of her friends are being held hostage with a broken martini bottle. Um, and she shows little remorse for having had sex with the rapist who's done it all to them. Um, no, she didn't she say, like, I've earned a drink? I'd say that. I'd say <laughs> that I earned a drink. Yeah. And he, he, so Alex says, you've got a lot of balls. Um, and then Lisa has a great line where she says, there are so many guys strutting about with great bulges in their pants, but when you dance the nitty-gritty, you find out they're only there for decoration. <laughs> yeah, and that was it. To have balls, you have to have them up there and then points to a head yeah. and, then, and then down there. In other words, the having yeah. balls is not a, it's not a physical def, a description. It's, it's, a, it's a frame of mind. Having balls is like having the kind of tenacity to deal with stuff yeah. like a man you know it's like that that's what i mean this theme's all through the whole film of like you know she's saying yes i've got balls because i've <clears> got <throat> them up here you know yeah. i can take it. that's what i mean there's this whole weird concept running throughout it and she she's she's agreeing with him you know yeah. she's actually agreeing like yes i have got balls yeah she's a really interesting character isn't she because throughout she refuses to be vulnerable um and that and then our response to that is always interesting, isn't it? Because it, 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 do you hate her for that, or do you like her for that, or are you somewhere in the middle? You know, it's 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 a it's a funny one. Um, mm. Alex coerces Lisa. Well, does anyone coerce Lisa? But uh, Alex coerces Lisa into having sex with Glenda to put on a little show, uh, but a girl on girl, and then he makes 
Tom, her boyfriend, finds some nice romantic music to put on whilst they watch. <laughs> yeah. um, I found that he could, he seems to call Tom a faggot quite a bit as well around here. Yeah, again, I think it's this whole concept of, you know, uh, because he doesn't think that Tom has this masculinity or this kind of the balls, shall we say, that therefore he's he's a, he's a faggot, you know, he's he's gay. He has no yeah. no redeeming masculinity to yeah. him at all. So he so he's he's useless. That, yeah. That's what I mean. As as much as he beat Howard up, he actually said, you know, he's got more balls than the rest of them. So he doesn't seem to hate Howard as much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom, however, is like sliced into and beaten about the face. You know, he's 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 the the, the sort of target of Alex's contempt a lot more than the other men. Yeah, I love the irony of him calling Tom a faggot when his uh, relationship with Ricky is more homoerotic than anything. Um, yeah. That's quite interesting. Yeah. So um, before the live lesbian display can get going, there's a buzz at the door, and it's Cindy. Who the fuck is Cindy? <laughs> um, so she's like the little, uh, the sort of little diminutive friend, and she, I love the fact that she lightheartedly refers to them as well-off creeps. <laughs> not wrong. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Isn't she just like a neighbor as well? Who's like, yeah. She hasn't. She hasn't technically been invited, but she just knew that they were in, so yeah. she just thought she'd pop over. Yeah, so she's she's really an un. She's really an unplanned factor in this whole thing, isn't she? She is, but I love the fact that the minute she walks in and sees Alex, she's just like fancies him straight away, and she like, calls him a stud. Yeah, and then lets him just completely manhandle her the minute she walks through the door. Yeah, that's what I mean, and and it's this whole thing of where did you find him? So there's always this language of like, you know, he must be good fun because he's he's you know dirty, you know, he's like he's not one of us, you know, he's where is he from? Yeah, yeah. Um, then Gloria bolts. So whilst all this is going on, the doors open to Gloria makes a run for it, um, and Alex sends Ricky chasing after her. Um. So there's then a really odd montage, this sort of sensitive slow burn love scene between Ricky and Gloria in the bushes, <laughs> intercut with like a rape scene between Alex and Cindy. Yeah. Really and again, the, the whole thing of Gloria and Ricky, the consent there is dead dubious, of course, because, you know, he was the one mauling her early and she really did not want to do it. Yeah, yeah. And here it's almost like the role is reversed. Yeah, and she's it's like, like stripping off and stripping him off. No, it's it's like she sees him for actually the fact that he is weak and kind yeah. of maybe needs some dominance himself. Yeah. So there's always yeah you know, the points of dominance always switch in this in this movie. You know, Alex is mainly dominant through sexual and violent means, and then yeah. other people become dominant in different ways. Like Lisa's sexually dominant because she, even though she's being raped, she's kind of engineered it in a sense, yeah. like through her own actions. And in this scene as well, Gloria has obviously been quite victimized up until this point. Hmm. And because she sees that Ricky is also a victim of Alex, it's like the dominance then shifts to her and she's like, I'm in control here, yeah. not him. And yeah. then that's what I think allows her to just think, I, you know, I kind of do want to make love with him. Yeah. It's, 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 it's very, very strange. It's all, all about, the time. It, I mean, the shift of power, that's basically what happens throughout the film, isn't it? You think that you think always, you think one, thing, you think one thing is going to happen and then another, you know, the, the, the underdog sort of steps up and is mm. in, in control by the end. Um, so we've got more nice lilting resort Alani music. Um, and then if, if, what I found really troubling here is how tiny Cindy is compared She to, is very small. She's so petite. She's almost she? like childlike, and he's like, he's like all over, and he's saying, "Ooh, you're a virgin." 
Yeah, it's it's probably the most uncomfortable yeah. that you've, I've ever been in like a moment like that because yeah. it does go on for such a long time and it it's he's not even being violent necessarily yet it's just the taunting of it like taunting and touching yeah. yeah yeah he's running a razor over her, her breasts yeah. you know and con- and just like heavily breathing and you know just like you know look what i've got in front of me and it's it's so uncomfortable and then and then he has the line you know they say you always remember the first time yeah that's just that that actually is chilling that yeah it's really great it's just like you're gonna remember me you know it's just like that's it's fucking awful yeah yeah in fact up until this this point is probably where you start to really realize you know no alex is really a bad guy because She's completely innocent. She's not one of these people who's been at the party yeah. and taunted Ricky. She's not done anything wrong. Yeah. Like she is probably the most innocent party in the whole film. And well, she the is, fact yeah. That she, yeah, the fact that she actually probably gets the worst deal. Yeah. That's what that's what really turns the tables in this film, I think. And then everyone who's been watching it up until now really starts to think, no, actually, this is too far. This is actually one step too far. So this is the moment where um, Alex starts slashing at Cindy with the razor blade, and he's carving it up in front of everyone. And nobody does anything. No. <laughs> nobody no. does. I mean, the, the one person who steps in and gets spoiler and gets stabbed for his effort is Ricky. So the, yeah. the only person who tries to stop it is the other, is the other quote-unquote baddie in the film. Yeah. Um, all the others just sort of either are scared to do anything or aren't bothered enough <laughs> to do anything or they're sort of enjoying the show. Um, well, it's, it, well, it's, it's, it's almost like, I, I, it's a bit like, I feel like it's a bit like funny games in that yeah. we're looking at these people and because we are obviously turning that corner ourselves. We've been watching this whole film and enjoying it in a sense yeah. up until this point. And when we see them doing nothing, we kind of snap out of it, like, what the fuck are you doing? Why aren't you doing something? Like, she's she's being brutalized in front of you. Why aren't you reacting? Yeah. And that was us a few minutes ago. Yeah. yeah, That was literally where we were. We were just watching this and kind of not being that affected by it. Yeah. And it, it almost feels like this is like, you know, this is the time when it has to change. And even we realize it by watching them do fuck all, <laughs> you know? This is the this is one of the this is the moments in this film that is in all of the films that we cover where you know that you know that um Chris you'll know what I mean you know there's one scene in all of these films there's always one moment where if say if Laura walked in <laughs> you would feel really like guilty and ashamed of yourself for watching it yeah. Mine yeah. was the um the, the most recent one was the horse in Caligula, <laughs> um, <laughs> in Caligula two. So this is the scene, and I think this is the scene in this film. Would you agree? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think um yeah, I, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't, it it just. I mean, I, it goes so far, like wildly far. Like I mean, it's obviously it's clearly deliberate to kind of you know to really repulse the audience. And I think yeah. when you do compare it to Holocaust, like, I was from the first time I watched Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I felt like a bit like, like you've been attacked. I was physically being attacked, like, cause it's just so much and it's so confrontational. Yeah. And I think with this, this is that moment again, it just absolutely sucker punches you and, it, and it's brutal. And you're right. Me and Laura have not sat down to watch this <laughs> film. 
and yeah. she, she she's gone you know what i probably won't watch that christopher and i'm like oh, that's fair enough um Definitely. so yeah but yeah no, the, i mean it's it's it, it's it's so grubby though isn't it we turn around and go, yeah i've got i've got loads of films of the house i would watch with the wife <laughs> yeah. in the secret room in the seat of you, which, <laughs> in the, the broom in the back would be projector in <laughs> oh okay now <laughs> The man cave, the the uh, yeah, locks on the doors, locks on the doors. Um, so Ricky tries to stop him, and he gets stabbed in the stomach. And then we have the moment where Ricky's dying, and uh, we have Alex is just devastated at what he's done, and he's saying, you know, why did you make me do it? I didn't want to hurt you. Um, and he, uh, it, it, this is the moment, is it? Because Ricky's is isn't Ricky? He's shirtless in this scene as well. Well, no, he's uh, he's had the his shirt has been slashed open, open yeah, hasn't he? That's right, yeah. yeah, that's what I remember. Um, so he's sort of lying in Alex's arms with his sort of bare chest bleeding, and uh, this is uh, for me. This was the most homoerotic moment in the whole film. Yeah, because because obviously Alex doesn't quite compute what he's done yeah. at first, does he? And there's this long sequence of like um, Ricky gasping, obviously, as he's just as he reels back from the pain. Yeah. And he's constantly trying to get away while he's on the floor and breathing heavily. Yeah. And Alex just walks towards him like slowly and it just cuts back and forth between the two. And there's a it does feel like there's a a tension, you yeah. know, oddly. And then yeah, when he gets on the floor, he again he holds him and like embraces him almost. Mm-hmm. And I love the Alex swears that he'll get revenge on the others for doing this to him. But it was yeah. Him. When it was him who did it. But I, mean, I know, it's, it is very bizarre. He somehow manages to make it all their fault. Um, but for the character that we've seen so far with Alex, I feel like it makes complete sense that he does that as well. He would he would deflect it yeah. and turn that around to be someone else's fault and not his. Mm. Um, so as he swears, he'll get revenge on them for doing this. We see that Tom, who up until now has branded a gutless faggot, is actually grabbing a gun. And he's as cool as a cucumber as he um, shoots Alex right between the legs. Yep. Um, so uh, he has a great aim. He shoots him again and again, and then we realise there's a, the big twist of the film um, when Tom says, that girl you raped in the park, she was my sister. Yeah. I but mean, again, he, he he prefaces it before, doesn't he? Like, how do you like that faggot? You know, oh, like yeah. it, it's no, but it's mean that it's like the shift of power's gone again. So yeah. now Alex, yeah. having been having his testicles gone, also yeah. has now no balls, and therefore is like the weakest person of the yeah. whole thing. And yes, yeah. balls equal strength. <laughs> I think for me, this moment and generally, because you kind of then go, ah, well, maybe if you like look back on all the actions in the rest of the film, it makes more sense. And it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. at all. It just, it just like, it's like a stamp at the end that says, don't worry. It's all okay. Like yeah. things have been returned to normal because yeah. nobody before then even acts any, any, in, in any clearer way. The only yeah. thing that it really says is obviously that, you know, which is the truth of the matter that if you're middle if you're middle class and turn around and say this poor my person broke into my home and caused mayhem, uh, the the busies would go, Yeah, that's fair enough, that's true. Yeah, you know totally. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um I think that if anything, this twist was probably just like a last minute, like, I know what we could do. 
Um, I don't, I don't feel like like you just said before. It's not threaded through there probably because I don't think it it, it was there in the first place. Yeah. Um, it just needs as an ending, and you know, as twists go, it's quite a good one. Um, so but just it just it makes it doesn't it? Um, the whole film basically take the last house on the left thing in you know that form. So the second part of last house on the left is the parents getting their yeah, daughter's killers in the house and then getting their revenge. Whereas this whole film is just that whole segment. Like the, yeah. <laughs> for, the, the first half of last house on the left is reduced to a before the credits rape sequence pretty much. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But then we don't actually get any of the actual revenge until the very last five minutes of this film. So yeah. it's all sort of sped through, isn't it? So uh, we realized that he, Tom basically went into that, into that, uh, garage on purpose he found alex and ricky on purpose brought them back to the house so he could kill the man who raped his sister um so he, he sort of so the, and they all sort of have a go at him then don't they so he shoots him in the dick and we get that hilarious slow motion scream where we're treated to each and every filling isn't david tester's mouth <laughs> um and then um he'd be having like writhing around in the pool bleeding to death and then lisa shoots him too and then Howard helps him out of the pool before taunting him and says, you're going to die. And then he shoots him too. Um, well, he, well, he sings the same song, doesn't he, that Alex was singing to sing. Course, he almost, yes. almost like, you know, yeah. that, you know, now you're on the other end of it. You know, you're the weak one now. You're the one who's vulnerable. And yeah. he's just like, you're going to die. And yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, the tables do, do well and truly turn. So it is enjoyable, at least on that front. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is, totally. And they, they all enjoy and savour that revenge as much as he enjoyed being a rapist and a killer. Well, um, except for Gloria, because she's the one who actually says no, doesn't she? Because well, Howard, yeah. Howard offers the gun to her, and she's actually like, no, I well, don't want to. Well, it's interesting because Gloria does that, and also Glenda just sort of stays, stays in the background and <laughs> doesn't really do anything. <laughs> Well, she's she she it well it looks like it's hinted that she's trying to take care of Cindy because yeah. Cindy's just been left alone in the yeah. in the living room after yes, having been cast off. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. so I think Glenda's supposed to be staying behind for that. Yeah. But um, yeah. And again, Gloria, when she started, was you know a bit of a flimsy victim type thing, and by the end of it, she's the one who's telling Howard, "You're not killing Ricky." Yeah. Because Howard goes to shoot Ricky dead, doesn't he? Yeah. 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 And, yeah, yeah. And Gloria's just like, no, leave him alone. And he's like, you know, why? And she's she's like, because I've said so. You don't make the decisions anymore. So it's... Yeah. So the power thing is constantly going all the time between people. That's true, yeah. And it's almost like you're trying to sort of... You you are sort of searching throughout the whole film. You're sort of trying to find this elusive moral compass (laughs) that sort of flits around (laughs) it sort of flits around the house but you can never quite catch it um but it sort of lands with gloria at the end Hmm. yeah and i'm sure a very awkward conversation with cindy to explain why it's actually okay what's just happened just happened because you know what it's all fine now love don't worry we got revenge it was all worth it in the end (laughs) it was all worth it in the end um well it uh, it finishes on um it finishes on um Lisa and Tom, though, doesn't it? Just retiring to like an office to phone the police. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he sort of says to her, doesn't he, Tom? Um, you know, it was, we were, yeah, it was very close back then, you know, like probably we all could have died. And yeah. then he just goes, but you liked it, didn't you? You know, you, you kind of got off on it. And she doesn't say anything. She just kind of steps forward and like just looks at him. And he, then he just phones the police almost as if they don't ask me, just, yeah. you know, 
just just do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, the film ends there with Alex. I was going to say poor Alex with Alex floating <laughs> in the pool. Um, and yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? You get the impression that Ruggiero Diazzo doesn't have a very high opinion of the human race. Well, he's definitely cynical. His in work, his, um, yeah, yeah. His work, there's a there's a ferocity, isn't there, in his yeah. work, especially around this time. There's a nihilism and a, and an um, and an anger, a nastiness. There's an anger in his work, a nastiness, yeah, mm. that really comes across in Holocaust and this one, um, where yeah, just everyone is ambiguous. Everyone is sort of in that grey area of who's good and who's bad. Um, yeah, and there's you know about twenty percent of them are good. <laughs> And eighty percent of fucking awful human beings, um, you know. And, but that's I, I think that makes for an interesting viewing, though. I feel, I feel like it's not nothing is black and white. Mm. No, I, I I agree. It's um, it it I always enjoy it on a rewatch, and I think this is probably the the eleventh or twelfth time I've seen this film. Wow! And yeah, I've, I've I'm quite a big fan of this film. I quite I quite like wow. it, but I always <laughs> I always enjoy this film. I, I think I told you that John didn't I had like um there was a film night a few years ago <laughs> when I went to um, one of my friends house and it was me and two other people and we were everyone else had gone to bed and we were just kind of watching films and we were trying to suggest things and they'd all like put like you know sort of extreme stuff on I think Tokyo Gore Police got watched or something like that yeah and Everyone was like, go on, Andy, you've got loads of films. I'm sure you can suggest something. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I suggested House on the Edge of the Park. <laughs> and it was about maybe two o'clock in the morning when we started it. Wow. And we were all like drunk and the opening credits happened. And everyone just turned to me, what the fuck have you put on, Andy? <laughs> and by the end of it, they liked it. You know, they said, yeah, it was a good film. It's just like, I just... I didn't expect so much fucking rape. <laughs> There's just so much rape. And like, even before the credits, like, yeah, well, you know, it, as I do remember it though, weren't you? It's like, yes, yes, we will. <laughs> I don't know. But the thing about it is though, you know, you watch it and at the end of it, you might want to go for a quick shower, you know, feel a bit better about yourself. Maybe David Hess could walk in afterwards. You're going off. <laughs> That's true. That's the dream, isn't it? That's true. Or you could be like you. I mean, you're more likely to be like Lisa. I want to get a shower ten minutes into the film <laughs> before before the credits roll. As it says yep. on the back of this, you're going to want ten, to dive ten off and go for a shower. Ten minutes into the film, you need a shower, and by the end of the film, you you'd rather be uh, floating face down in a swimming pool <laughs> <laughs> with with piss, blood, and some discarded stockings. So, oh my god, discarded stockings as well! So Gosh. many stockings in that film. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> according to IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's why I said the serial killer thing is because he kills one person. Yeah, I'm that's not true. Su- I'm not sure if I'd class him as a serial killer. He's certainly a sex pest and yes. an offender. You know, he's certainly a sexual predator. I don't think serial killer quite thinks it. Because I get the impression he didn't actually mean to kill her in the beginning. It's kind of just because he kind of ran away with it. You know, he went a bit <laughs> he got, too far. He got a bit carried away. He was I think so. lost in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is when you cut someone off in the car. We've all been there. <laughs> You're saying all this though, but the second the second roll out of lockdown, every house party is going to be like this. So you got to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Don't go to any coffee parties. No. <laughs> but, yeah. 
Oh, oh god. god! But no, I, I did enjoy it. I, I've been meaning to rewatch this one for a while, um, so this was a great excuse to to watch it. And I would definitely recommend if anyone's listened to this who hasn't actually seen the film, I do recommend it. Just mm. have a little scout around online to try and find it uncut. Because so the version that was released here eventually in two thousand and two was cut by eleven minutes. Is that right? Yeah, and, absolutely. And the vid- yeah. release was cut by eleven minutes. Yeah. That is insane. I know they cut everything out. They cut ev- everything sexual pretty much out of it. They also cut um, Tom's head bashing, strangely, which, are, yeah, but, but like you said, it is probably because it's just so vicious. Well, that that's the most, that for me was the, the most disturbing physical moments of the film. That and the girl mm. the girl being slashed as well. But the, Yeah, that yeah. bit's still, it, in fact, that bit is still the contentious scene, isn't it? Because it's got a modern release from Shameless um, on Blu-ray and DVD, but the it's cut. Yeah, it's 40, 43 seconds or something it's like that. It's the stuff with the razor that's gone still, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. The, um, oh. yeah, I mean, they cut the stuff where, you get, where the, the guy got peed on because they were like, well, that's, that, that's obscene. I mean, the 11-minute the, the cutout, the Vipco release, is it's just insane how little of the film's left. It's mad. I mean, why bother? I, I, well, I was going to say, I, I, it would be virtually unwatchable because it would just be lots of, well, I don't know, very mild punching and pushing around and, yeah. I don't know. So... The, the, yeah, what what would be left of it? Irritated so, sideways glances. Yeah. So to this day, you can't get it uncut in the UK. That's right. No, no. Right. So you'd have to do a little bit of searching around. There was like I think it was Code Red release on Blu-ray in America, um, mm. but I sort of missed the boat on that, and now it's too expensive, so I won't be paying for that. Um, but the the DVDs that we mentioned that whilst bare bones are the real thing, and it's so it's all there. So that's what I'd recommend anyway. This is also one of the the video nasties, isn't it, Chris? Yeah, this yeah. One. Thirty nine was the, it, it, it was released uh, went straight onto the list and stayed on throughout the panic. Yeah, so it's one of one of the the the, the OG thirty nine um, video nasties. Yeah, one of the most notorious because I think it was Definitely. rejected for a certificate at the cinema, wasn't it? Oh so... yeah, yeah. There's yeah, yeah. It got rejected for a certificate in the cinema, unsurprisingly. Let's put it on video. It'd be fine. Yeah, yeah, with it, with, without was, even any bit. cuts as well. Yeah. yeah, it was a complete uncut print yeah, on VHS. How so. long? How long does it last before they got onto it? Well, it it got released in eighty two, and then the actual you know the actual video nasties list was the summer of eighty three. So eighty three, yeah, yeah. So, but it it will it will be it was getting pulled off the shelves pretty much straight away. Wow. Yeah, it didn't last too long, but um, but yeah. Yeah, but so so it certainly was up there in terms of notoriety. But I also, you know, it was probably Cannibal Holocaust was obviously a part of that as well. They probably wouldn't have even known who Ruggiero Diodato was unless it was for that poster boy. Yeah, completely. Yeah, but yeah, it was banned for a long time. Um, Well, if you liked Cannibal Holocaust, then you'd probably quite like this. (laughs) It's got got all of the same elements, um, only... It's got actually. It's got the one. What one of the more positive things is that there's no actual animal cruelty in this. You know, so that's that. Put that sort of sets it apart from kind of a Holocaust. How do you think this stands up next to? Because um, it's obviously always compared to the Last House on the Left, and it was probably wasn't the whole idea born out of just wanting to ape, you know, riff on Last House on the Left. Um, so how do you think this stands up next to that? Um, I think it's I think it's a very different beast to be honest with you. So um, you're you're right. It definitely is trying to cash in on on that kind of notoriety. Um, 
I, I wouldn't want to compare. I certainly wouldn't want to, you know, as they say, Auntie, you, you, you really like this film. Um, mm. Like, Fingers about Last House on the left is it's kind of created. It, it, I, I don't think they knew what they were making when they made it, you know what I mean, in terms yeah. of how, you know, some films are just forged from a certain kind of viewpoint, a certain kind of time, and everyone comes together, and it's just, it. I mean, and it's really... A, it's offensive and it's horrible and it's, it's, it's vicious but and like you know people no one would ever compare say like you know this is an you know an allegory for for for, for political unrest yeah yeah which yeah. they do about last house on the left yeah hmm. yeah yeah i um i'd say you know i i do like last house on the left but i find it a much more unpleasant experience i'd say actually than this film even mm. though this one is actually just as vicious, if not actually more in some ways. Yeah, but yeah. I, f- I find Last House and Left quite a quite an endurance test sometimes because of how nihilistic and how like hopeless it actually kind of seems. Yeah, yeah. Because because even by the time that that film ends and they actually get their revenge, you don't feel like that catharsis that you usually would. <laughs> yeah. Because you toast. You toast. Do, do you know what I mean? Like it, most of these sort of rape and revenge movies, there's always at least a catharsis that comes in the wake of the revenge with Last House on the Left. Yeah. It doesn't quite get there. And actually, I really hate the comedic subplot of the, the cops like oh, in, yeah. in Last House on the Left. Um, this one, I, I feel like I return to a bit more and I have a bit more of a fondness for. Yeah. And I and I also I even like the um the other Italian ripoff, um Late Night Trains, which I think is again a bit better, I'd say, than Wes Craven's film in terms yeah. of it's a bit more watchable and not quite as nihilistic. Yeah. But but yeah, and they and they all have something to say about class and like sort of conflict between those classes. But yeah, it doesn't really compare to it. I just personally find that um House on the Edge of the Park's a bit more Easy to watch, actually. Uh, well, that's saying something, isn't it? Jesus hmm. Christ. The uh, the thing for me with Last House on the Left is it's just, as you say, it's it's utterly depressing. And you come out of it sort of feeling like you've you've been drained more than anything. Um, yeah. And I, just, I didn't feel that way about this. And I feel like, I suppose with this one, there is less emphasis on the corruption of innocence. Um, that lasts for like five, ten minutes of this film, whereas Last House on the Left is built on that, and I feel like yeah. that is a much more, yeah. much yeah. more of a crushing blow, really. Um, but I will say that I'll just chime in and just say I actually I I watched um Night Train Murders again last year. I've seen it a few times, but I watched it again last year on a new Blu-ray, and I do think it's much better than Last House on the Left. I really, yeah, I. I agree. <laughs> and I only say it, I only remark on it because I'm shocked because it's, you know, it's such a blatant rip-off of that idea. But I just, I, I find it so much more enjoyable. Um, mm. Whereas it's definitely, whilst I agree with Chris that Last House on the Left was a bigger cultural moment and a bigger cultural shift, obviously, and had a lot more to say. Um, mm. But in terms of, like, a film and a viewing experience, Night Train Murders, for me, is the better one. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I mean, please you're say right, something, though. Chris. <laughs> no, that's fine. You're wrong, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's they spend more money on it. Like, so, Nitro Maze is shot on 35 mil. It's it's clearly about a lush. It, it looks lush. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a bad. I just film. I just think I think Night Train Murders to me just has an even more interesting and compelling villain. In the the lady she's on the great. train, she's so good. Like 
yeah, she's even more ambiguous than Lisa. Yeah, yeah. You know, like there's there's so much to her character that yeah. is never said, and you can you have to kind of just surmise exactly where she's got this attitude from. You know? yeah, yeah. So I find it more interesting on that front. But ha- having said that, as much as I like House on the Edge of the Park and Late Night Trains better than Last House on the Left, I think that Last House on the Left is the better one in terms of quality because it actually does work and is more effective at actually portraying something so vile and actually affecting you in the way that it does. At least with these Italian versions, it does obviously make you feel a bit repulsed and it is vicious and it is nasty, but it doesn't linger really until like when the film's finished, the film's finished. Well I don't no, know. Completely it, completely and I think what, what Last House on the Left does is it just comes up to you, punches you in the face and walks away. That's literally what it does. whereas whereas these films sort of try a little bit more to give you the sort of bit of catharsis and the bit of hope at the end, which is Last House mm. on the Left just doesn't bother because it doesn't need to. Last House on the Left is culturally and artistically important. It's the type of film that goes into an archive. Mm. House on the Edge of the Park is the type of film that goes into the back of the video shop. Yeah, and that, I agree with both that. Both of those yeah. things are fine, and, and entertainment value is its own thing. But like... Oh, yeah, totally. No, yeah. I com- completely agree with you. No, Last I, House I'm agreeing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's way more cul- culturally relevant yeah, yeah. And, and actually important, I'd say. Yeah. Well, Last House yeah. on the Left was a moment, wasn't it? It was a watershed yeah. moment. Yeah. Whereas yeah, these definitely. films that we're talking about now aren't. But they, but they are um, much, much better, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking now. I'm just mad to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll never hear the end of it if we don't get off this subject. That's so fun. Oh, great. Um, well, I've really enjoyed this. Thanks, boys. That was really nice. That was lovely. Yeah, thank um, you. And um, I can't wait to do it again. So, Chris, you have a new episode of Video Nasty is out at the moment, don't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, we've got yeah, Video Nasty's podcast is, is chugging along at the moment. So um, the last couple have been Scanners and Prom Night. We've got mm-hmm. um, coming up Tomb of the Living Dead, which is from the Philippines, like a, a below cheap uh, B-movie. And then Mark of the Devil, which is um, the old uh, Witchfinder General ripoff. So, um, oh, yeah. So yeah, so we're getting there. We're getting there. There's, there's then, a fair, fair few left, but yeah, we're still we're still we're still covering the section free films. And that's videonastiespodcast.com. Yes, really good at selling my own stuff, aren't I? Yeah, so you can get it from videonastiespodcast.com or thelasthorrorpodcast.com, or you can follow me on Twitter at, at orange underscore monkey. And Andy Roberts, you've you've returned with a nasty pasty podcast, haven't you? I know. It actually feels weird to say it. It's been a year and a half mm. in the making, this one bloody film. I thought I'd never even get to get it out. But yes, I've got a new episode out on um, the Giallo film, The Girl in Room 2A. That Fabulous. came out yesterday, I think, or possibly the day before. Yeah. Can't re- Again, like I said, I'm a bit dislodged in time at the moment. Um, but yes, um, I'm also planning to do another one in fairly short shrift. I'm hoping to get back into a semi-regular fashion. Um, so my next one will be on Nico Mastarakis's, uh Zero Boys, which is like a sort oh, of nice. an action thriller type thing. Um, but I haven't seen that one, so it'll be brand new for me. But you can find that at um, Nasty Pasty Podcast. It's on Twitter as Nasty Pasty Pod. Or you can catch me um, 
as Rackety Esprus on Twitter as well. Please do tweet me at Johnny Larkin. And um, yes, thank you for listening. And we will all be back on the sleazy wagon, the sleazy night train. Um, <laughs> that's not superior. a that was, yeah, the, the sleazy superior first class night train. <laughs> <laughs> don't, uh, don't, don't ride on the superior sleazy night train. <laughs> very good. Very good. Um, uh, thanks, boys. I'll speak to you soon. Take care. See you. Bye. 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 Bye.